0: This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette.
1: And I'm Jarrett Murphy from City Limits. Welcome to the Max and Murphy podcast. We're very happy to be joined today by a couple of campaign strategists, including Molly Fullington, a long-term, long-time term GOP strategist. Thanks for being here.
0: And we're also, be here. we're also joined by Rebecca Katz, partner at Hilltop Public Solutions. Thanks for joining us. Good to be here. And so before we dig in with uh, you two experts on the mayor's race and some other city-state political dynamics, um, Tell us just a little bit about who you are, Rebecca.
2: Sure. Um, so, I, my name is Rebecca Kersner-Katz. I spent the last 20 years uh, on government, uh, in government or on campaigns uh, for progressive uh, candidates and causes. Uh, highlights include uh, working for Harry Reid. I was his communications director when we went back to the Senate, uh, working on uh, the Sonia Sotomayor uh, nomination with the White House, um, and uh, today I work, uh, a big t- chunk of my work is with Planned Parenthood. And of course... You're leaving sp- something <laughs> out yes. here. Yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> um And of course, um, about 10 years ago, I met uh, a man named Bill de Blasio, who I worked, uh, consulted on his public advocate campaign, uh, worked on his mayoral campaign, and then served uh, as an advisor to him in City Hall.
0: Great. Well, thanks for being here. Thank you. And Molly?
2: So, I have
3: most recently worked with Paul Massey, who we all know as a, was a terrific mayoral candidate until June 28th. Um, prior to that, I worked with um, Governor Bataki as his press secretary in his last couple of terms. Um, I worked in the House with Rick Lazio. I met Bill de Blasio when I worked on the Lazio Clinton race oh, in wow. 2000. Um, Good times. Bill de Blasio <laughs> was the campaign manager, and I was Rick Lazio's press secretary. Um, and, you know, I worked with Corporate clients and uh, GOP moderates, for the most part.
1: Great. And what was your role day to day for the Massey campaign? Just to give folks a sense of what that means working for. What did that What did that entail?
3: I was his press secretary, his spokesperson. Um, worked on his message. Worked on working with media, which was fun. Working with you guys. Mm-hmm. Um, this media environment is second to none. Uh, you know, even the national environment is is um, is often. It's as interesting as New York. So working with you guys and trying to get the message out for a Republican running against incumbent in this city was a very interesting challenge and
1: uh, a lot of fun. What was Massey like to work with compared with some of the other sort of more seasoned Pauls that you've, you've had associations with? Well
3: he's not a politician. He never was, he never will be, and it's a very different dynamic when you're working with someone who is not of this world. You know, we live and breathe this stuff and have for probably must much of our adult lives he was in a different business came into this because he wanted this job it wasn't a political positioning move it wasn't a strategic plan so he could jump to another job he wanted to be mayor but he wasn't a classic politician so it was different it, it's um, it's completely different it's it's uh, like asking a doctor to be a lawyer um, and helping teach that person how to be a politician
0: we won't um spend too much more time looking back, but just another minute or two on this, because obviously, you know, it was a very interesting element of this year's mayoral campaign. You had this candidate who was out there so early, you know, he really launched early and he wanted or had a soft launch early and, um, you know, seemed very in it and then dropped unexpectedly. Uh, Fascinating dynamics, how the Republican feel just sort of totally changed almost overnight within a few short weeks. Um... How did you as press secretary, how did you feel about sort of the media um, coverage of the Massey campaign? Was it was it fair? Was it did he get more attention than you thought he would, less? Um, how was how was that and how did how did it feel to you, you know, sort of the de Blasio Massey early going comparisons and coverage? But
3: I mean, I, th- I think the media is focused on process and it's a big part of what the media covers now. So when you have a A candidate who is not a classic candidate the process is different and so the coverage of the process was interesting to us because it was everybody was measuring us against a typical campaign and this was just not a typical campaign so that the process is interesting to us I don't think voters really care and I think at the end of the day that plays into the chattering class opinion of your candidate but um, voters at the end would not have cared as much about how the early press coverage um, covered us.
0: Mm-hmm. Rebecca, what did you have? You know, as you were sort of watching the early goings of this campaign, you're not working on the de Blasio campaign this year. We should make sure to note that <laughs> up front. Um, you know, what did you see there?
2: I mean, everything seems to start early, but at the same time, like, all the early, like, predictions are all wrong, right? I mean, we saw that in the presidential election, in the Democratic primary, and in the general election. Like, there's nobody who can predict anything. So it's it's interesting how we start off, and everyone kind of takes sides and like, this... You know, all the old measurements are different. So you saw, like, you know, we were still fresh off the, the general election, but you could see that even though everyone's like, well, this is a guy, he's got the name recognition, he's building the money. Like, there's you still need a little bit more grassroots energy or something early to pop for a candidate to, to to go big, I think.
0: I'm sort of, you know, it's been interesting watching because you would think that, um, you know, it seemed like some of the rationale behind the Massey candidacy was about, you know, sort of this Bloomberg-esque figure and trying to sort of make this pitch about management and executive experience. Um, and... I don't know, maybe, again, a lot of people have pointed this out, maybe there doesn't seem to be enough sort of crisis in need of someone like that to sort of come in and take hold of the place and say, you know, I'm in charge now, I've built this business, I can run this city. Um,
2: Or is it that politics is so driven by passion these days that like someone who just like is a manager isn't getting people inspired? You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like you have a lot of ideologues on all all sides now. That's where the, the people are in a lot of ways. So I feel like when you're just like, I'm a competent manager and... For New York City, a lot of, you know, whether it was crime, whether you know, like, things were going well in the managerial department. So that, I think, wasn't what was, like, inspiring to get people Mm. out.
3: And I think the media knows that with the 6-to-1 registration against a Republican, the chances of a Republican winning are so slender. And that is built into this narrative that the media comes to pretty quickly, I think, with anybody who's opposing... An entrenched incumbent of the Democratic Party that they're probably not going to win. So let's, you know they're likely not going to win. So unless something big happens, they aren't going to win. So that's built in.
0: Yeah, there was a lot of, I mean, still is, is a lot of skepticism. Yeah. Every article I write it every time. You know, Mayor De Blasio considered a heavy favorite. Absolutely. You know, right from the right from the start. I feel
1: like it was about a year ago. It was different though. There was the perception maybe just because it was so early that maybe the mayor was vulnerable. Are you surprised that
0: it was the that corruption.
1: people didn't the that, investigation that, yes. that a more um, a higher profile candidate has yet to emerge from No that.
2: I mean if you look at De Blasio's record he and what he promised in 2013 he's doing a lot he's doing a lot of what he said he would do so if you look at his base and you look at where the people are there wasn't enough it wasn't like he wasn't succeeding where he said he would you know like maybe there were you know there were still some challenges for the mayor but he was doing what he said he would so people weren't upset enough and i think you had a lot of democratic you know potential challengers kind of i'm sure there was a lot of polling and they also concluded the same thing de Blasio's is pretty strong with his base so we can't win there Go
3: ahead. but I, but i would say that he was i think he's he's his numbers are still not great i mean this is not you know his numbers are not something to crow about in a 6 to 1 city as a democrat having been here for almost 4 years but last fall when the cloud of corruption was still there and it was and that's when Massey really was focusing and we were looking at polling then he was much more vulnerable at that point because there was a chance that he or his staff could be indicted that's right. a, a crazy notion and it was a real thing so when that when the cloud of corruption lifted things changed the the democrats who were considering running against him fled Yeah, um, i think everything changed then
0: was there a conversation in the campaign i mean you know tell us what you can, you know, without, but was there a conversation when that happened that, oh, we might be in a lot more of a difficult situation than, you know, we, we have less, much less of a chance now than we thought we did?
3: Well, I, I don't know that, that that conversation was had per se. It actually happened during our launch week, which was interesting. Right. Um, but... But I, I think it's a fact you can't ignore. Mm. It was a very, it was, a, it was an element of the campaign at the beginning that was very helpful. Polling showed that people did care about corruption. They did worry that City Hall was for sale. They did wonder if this guy was doing backroom
2: deals and how it might affect them. And It was, it was a strong polling point. It was a sad sideshow and it's good that that has been put to bed and we can actually focus, the mayor can focus back on governing again.
1: So let's talk about where we are now. Mm-hmm. So, the, you know, Paul Massey has gone from the campaign, the corruption cloud has lifted, or the, the idea that there was corruption, that, that cloud has been lifted. Um, Nicole Melitakis is in the race, and independent candidate Bo as well. So is this race over, and if if not, why not?
2: I mean, I don't see how you could have a candidate who voted for Trump, you know, who's running for mayor of New York City, and actually win New York City. I'll just... Leave it so. there. Yeah. So it is that simple. <laughs> yeah.
3: I think in many ways it is that simple. Um, but I do think she is working hard and she's a good candidate and I you know, she is um, you know, holding the mayor's feet to the fire on issues which is important. That's you know, elections are so important and it's so important to have a an actual dialogue and real debate about things that matter. Um, and it's sad that races like this get, you know, the questions are posed like this. Is it over? I mean, Mm -hmm. the presumption is it's over. And it's sad that we can't have a
2: real debate with two sides and uh, a real policy debate. It would be nice if we could. But I think when we have a policy debate, I mean, I think that she's from what I've seen is that she'll have a press conference about crime and all of her numbers will be wrong, right? Like we've, a you know, I mean, de Blasio has actually been doing a great job on reducing crime. The city is in a much better position than it was just a few years ago. And every year we have record low crime. Um, and to, and like, that's a good, you know, Republican issue to, you know, get people, you know, riled up about, about how, you know, the city's, you know, going to hell in a handbasket, but actually like things are improving. There's a few, I mean,
0: there there are a few numbers within the crime numbers that, both, the massive campaign pulled out something and my talk is you yep. know yep. the broader trends Rebecca you're absolutely right but I think what she's trying to do is put forth you know the few, the few people. numbers yeah. that's absolutely true <laughs> but you know the few numbers that are up um you know put those forward but one thing I wonder is you know can a Republican in this city do something different than that you know what is the and and I think you know, you were starting to do that in the Massey campaign with some infrastructure ideas. You know, people want to see some sort of, I think, big vision, yeah. not necessarily sort of, you know, fear mongering. Right, but that's
2: also what we learned in twenty thirteen. Like, they didn't just want the same like classic line, like poll tested lines. They wanted, you know, we saw big bold progressive ideas, and that's like they wanted, you know, to, you know, how much affordable housing can we build? How, you know, and really go going at it in a way that I think. Um, I think, is very new, in, even on the presidential level we're seeing. So it's happening. Like, people want something, and Melita is, like, a just, she's a classic Republican. She's, you know, against the minimum wage. She's a, Like, there's nothing. She's anti-choice. You know, like, there's there's a ton of things that make her, like, not the right fit for that New York
1: ex- City. That raises a very important question, I think. You know, the old adage is that good campaigns are about, like, two things, and great campaigns are only about one. And de Blasio, you know, played by that book very well in 2013, really. The umbrella of inequality with stop and frisk and Mm pre-K being kind of under that. But now that he's an incumbent running again, does that still apply? Does he need to have sort of a a big idea about here's a new thing we're going to do or here's a new thing we have to tackle? Or can he say, this is what I promised I was going to do, I've done it. I mean,
2: I think he's going to I mean, I think he's going to run on his his record but he's also going to run on reducing inequality. Like that's always been the big umbrella, you know, and it will continue to be that. So, but he's already achieving like a better life is better for many of you know, many of the most struggling of New Yorkers. So I think that's, that's
1: and well, they have to come up with another like kind of like pre-K was brilliant, right? Because this yes. idea, like that's a great thing to do. Well, pre-K fit
2: feels brilliant now, but at the time we were getting like our butts kicked about how like nobody believed it was actually going to happen. So I just in you know right. like now right. it looks but there was great,
1: but there was a thing right? It was quality's bad. college bag. Here's a big. Policy right. simple but big mm, right. that we can apply to it. Do you think he has to come up with that? Well I mean kind of he's thing? already
2: he's already expanded it now to three K. You know what I mean? So you're actually seeing it get bigger. I think we're doing you know, he's got to focus now on affordable housing that is, you know, very important to many New Yorkers. And and you saw that with, you know, with um, tenants' rights as well, that they they have their own. The right to law, counsel. That they're not getting mm-hmm. evicted. Like, I mean, life is changing for a lot of New Yorkers. We don't see it as much because with pre-K it's universal, right? Every every Inch of New York is feeling that change of universal pre-K, right? Everybody has more disposable income. This, that, and the other. With a lot of the other De Blasio policies, it's happening like you know in in neighborhoods that are, aren't getting widely covered, frankly.
0: I want to ask you, Molly, something in a second. Um, but on this, um, either of your reactions, you know, I was at the mayor's. He has now Brooklyn campaign headquarters. I was at that launch uh, two Sundays ago. You took the subway there. I did. took the subway <laughs> with the mayor. That was one of the most unbelievable scenes uh, I've been a part of. Um, but, you know, when he gave his pitch to the volunteers that were there and the media, of course, mm-hmm. um, you know, he's got a lot of things that when he's just talking about his record, you, you sort of go, oh, you know, he's got a lot of stuff to run on here. Mm-hmm. There's all sorts of holes people can you know, pungent things that opponents are trying to do, the budget growth, et cetera, et cetera. But he's got a bunch of things that yeah. he's done on inequality that he can say. But then when he talked about sort of like where are we going, that's where I think, you know, it's a little bit iffy because he's saying we need to do more affordable housing. We need to go 3K. We need, we're closing Rikers. You know, some of these things that are doubling down on what he said. But I think to Jared's point, you know, does he need some new big ideas is a big, I think is a good question. I, don't, I mean, are you waiting for that? Does he need that? Or can he run on his record and we're doubling down?
3: Do you feel like he's actually focused on running for mayor of New York? I I feel like he's just,
2: he's just... Governing? As <laughs> the mayor of New York? That's what I, I mean. His focus
3: is, I think that has been his, one of his greatest vulnerabilities and it's still playing out. He is not focused on the city in the way that I think New Yorkers would like how, to see him How not? How,
1: what, what, I mean, a couple of years ago, you could make that case with the the Iowa Forum and the attempt to form the Coalition of Mayors and whatnot, but what's the Just evidence his, for that now? The
3: tenor as he talks to people, the fact that he's leaning from behind on the transit crisis, the fact that you know he started it? to ride the subway, now that people are paying attention to the fact that he wasn't riding the subway. You brought it up, and it's mm. a real thing. It wasn't a few months ago that
2: he said, well, the people of New York don't want me to ride the subway. It's more important that I do the business of the city in Park Slope. Um. I think there's a difference, if I can just cut in for a second, there's a difference if you don't like the mayor. Like maybe you have a problem with his personality or something like that. But if you actually look at his record of accomplishment, it's pretty stellar, right? So, and I know you would argue with me on that. But what I would say is that it's hard to be the mayor of New York when, when there's so much that the governor controls. And... Sp- the governor not only controls the subways he actually controls the, like you know mayoral control was up for debate in albany so as the the, sp- the subways were like spinning you know out of control in june you know here we had the mayoral control up and the last thing we you would want to do and i know no knowledge of what actually went into the city hall but like what, but, but my interpretation of what I saw is you can't go after the subways and, you know, make a cheap remark about Governor Cuomo and his lack of leadership. And then what, what, what Cuomo will Cuomo do? He'll probably slash, you know, mayoral control and keep it and, you know, make, you know, life harder for 1.1 million, you know, children in New York because he doesn't like what the mayor said. You know what I mean? I mean, this could happen. This is not, you know, beneath Andrew Cuomo. So I don't I don't see how the mayor could actually like get into a strong fight with with the governor while things like mayoral control were on the table. That wouldn't have been smart.
3: But he has been mayor for three and a half years. This didn't all happen in an election year. I mean a lots no, happened in an election okay, year. Okay, so the subways he's running this year. Right.
2: The subways have been gradually getting worse, but like the last couple months have been horrendous in a way yes, that it course. hasn't been a year, ago. of course. Quick
0: question to Molly and then Jared. The w- going back to sort of what Rebecca was saying about Nicole Mayatakis being sort of a, a more typical Republican, and Paul Massey was not running as sort of a typical Republican, quote unquote. Um, the folks that it seemed like Paul Massey was appealing to as sort of a moderate, he, he liked to say uh, non political, right. the campaign liked to say independent minded right. businessman, etc. The folks that he appealed to, do you think they're just largely anti de Blasio and they automatically go to Molly or does she have trouble there?
3: I think it de- I, it does depend on the voter. I think a lot of people dislike this mayor, and it's for a lot of different reasons. And it does matter if you like or dislike your mayor. He represents this. This is the greatest city in the world, and there's a, a feeling New Yorkers like to like the guy who's running the place. There is affection. Um, affection is a, of for, the, for your leader is a very important part of leadership. You know, this is not
2: a point I'm going to argue with you, because I, I believe that strongly. I mean, for me, one of the biggest frustrations is that The voters of New York don't see the Bill de Blasio that I've known for years, a guy who, you know, cares deeply about his family, about children, who's somewhat funny, though, kind of with the dad jokes a little bit much but like he's you know like we and we did a lot of this in the 2013 campaign we let him because we had a lot less on the line in a lot of ways we let we let him kind of be a little quirky and funny and um, and that kind of once he got into the, like the governing it's like you know in every press conference like became like you know the reporters versus him and we used to have a little bit more fun with it you know talk about um, things that he's interested in, you know whether it was like going back to his days of like teaching you know baseball to Dante's uh, you know whole League team League. yeah the whole mm-hmm. Little League team or like you know going to the Coney Island you know the mermaid parade and dressing up and having a w- there was a you know we had a lot more room to have fun early on and you could actually see him be that guy and like I saw a little bit of that, that when we were like he was talking about his favorite cannoli <laughs> and I'm like ah that's the building know yeah. you could lecture about cannolis mm-hmm. for hours um, but like I, I do think that City Hall, you know, you have a whole press operation that everybody has a different agency and everyone's right, but there's not the same kind of look at protecting his image, I think is right. what I, you know.
0: I would love to talk about that a lot more, but we, we <laughs> maybe we'll come back to it in a little <laughs> right. bit. I think that's a really fascinating topic. And I remember distinctly, I think it was Josh Greenman at the Daily News wrote about this, maybe at the end of de Blasio's first year in office and talked about sort of that mayor quality and likability and sort of leadership. And maybe you didn't really like Bloomberg or Rudy, but you really saw them as your leader. And where is de Blasio on that? And there's a lot to talk about there, but uh, this we'll, we'll, we'll to we'll keep so, going. <laughs> I don't want to talk too much about polls and we won't get
1: into numbers because that's hard to listen to. But there's a poll out today that suggests that a couple of things. Bill de Blasio's approval rating has slipped in the past few months, that his lead over the Republican
0: The front-runner. Front-runner,
1: du jour, um, has has decreased, but only because his share of the vote has gone down. The Republican hasn't made up any ground. So two questions out of that. Why do you think the mayor's um, numbers have slipped, Uh, Rebecca? And Molly, uh, why do you think that, that the Republicans have been unable to, it appears, capitalize on that?
2: I think as you get closer to an election, you always the numbers always tighten a little bit, right? You every you know you always you always see those candidates who many years out are way up ahead, and it always tightens as you get closer to the election. I do think that once you know people tune in to this um, to this campaign and really like and the mayor gets to make the case for what he's done in the last four years, he will get another four years.
1: And you think it's the campaign that's that's. Tightening this, or is it, the fat, is it the subways? Is it something else? Because the campaign doesn't feel like it's really penetrated so much that it would affect the mayor's numbers to this point. The Maybe sub- I'm wrong. The
2: subways? The,
1: the or subway or problem. The,
2: yeah. I mean, it's hard to say what people, like if people actually know that it is Andrew Cuomo's MTA rather than the mayor's. Um, but I, I just think it's summer. You know, people, life is harder, things get tighter. I think he'll be fine.
1: And so, why, you know, de Blasio is showing a little bit of um, decline, but Republican, Canada doesn't seem to be tapping into that very much. Why do you think that is?
3: Well, I, th- I think, I agree that numbers tighten as people start to pay attention. Once we get back to lab- when Labor Day's here, things will change. It'll tighten up a little bit more. I think Loda had 24% in 2013. And we now Didn't have... much them. higher
0: from there. But right. Yeah. And, and
3: Paul Massey had 24% in January of this year, by the way. Um, but I also think we have now Nicole Mallitakis and Bo Splitting this anti De Blasio vote, which is a which is an issue um, for both of them, I presume that the assemblywoman would like to come out of this with something close to what Joe Loda did in 2013 to make it a win for her. Um, you know, is she penetrating? I think it's it's it is difficult in this electorate to penetrate as a Republican, and it really boils down to money in the end. Raising money and having money to go up uh, with ads in the fall is critical, and it's. I mean, it's a James Carville line. It's the money, stupid. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's it. That is how you can win if you're running against
2: an incumbent. And Um, I think It's it's,
3: the only way to win.
2: And I think uh, Bill de Blasio's campaign is like a record number of, you know, low-dollar donors, and they're doing quite well on the the fundraising front, so he will be fine.
0: Yeah, he's going to be fine financially, as you would pretty much expect from an incumbent. Um, You know, the question is absolutely with Nicole Manitakis whether the money is going to be there and... You know, one interesting thing—the um, New York Times just did a story on this—and I was actually looking at this in a little bit of a different way—is the independent expenditures too. You know, there, there's not going to be much, if any, union money going against this mayor, right? So that's a huge swath. And real estate is not unhappy with him, so he's in pretty good shape. You know, the PBA might do some stuff against him, but um, the money, I think, is is big. Do you see? You know, do you see her? Does she have a chance there to, to kick it into higher gear with the money? Was the money out there? I mean, I know that was like such a key piece of the Massey campaign was the money question, but...
3: We got out mm-hmm. because of the money. And this is a successful businessman who himself, we had, we raised record numbers of dollars in the first two filing periods. Literally broke records raising money. And it still wasn't enough. If you're running against an incumbent, six-to-one registration against you, and you you have to penetrate in a way that is beyond the media, no offense, but again, this baked-in narrative that no way the guy can, The other guy can win. Um, it matters. But if you can go up on our media with your message, but to do that in this media market is 40 or $50 million. Right. Dollars.
1: I don't want to harden that baked-in narrative anymore, but you just mentioned something that I want to pick up on more broadly, which is talking about Manly Takis looking to get around Loda's numbers to call it a win, even though obviously it's not a win. And let's flip that around and talk about the mayor. You know, he referred a lot in his first year especially to the size of the mandate he won in 2013. Mm -hmm. Um, Going into a second term, especially because we do expect him to prevail, we don't want to presuppose that, but that seems likely, does it matter what kind of margin he takes home in November? Does it matter what kind of turnout generates that margin? How much of his second term governing-wise depends on Exactly how election day plays out compared to expectations. We should
0: say for everybody, he got about 73% in 2013, which I think is is a a huge number. Post post consolidation record.
2: (laughs) Post consolidation. So I would say, I mean, on the one hand, like a win is a win, right? If you win, you're the mayor again, like you get to do a lot of big stuff. You always want a little bit more, you know, you always want as many people to vote for you as possible, but at the end of the day, a win is a win, and he will, you know, use that to keep going forward on a big, bold, progressive agenda.
0: What do you think, Molly? What do you, I mean?
2: I I think fifty
0: five percent would be rough. You know, I mean, sixty f- percent even.
3: The registration is six to one. Mm-hmm. Like you know, it's it's.
0: So, it, I do it, want to pick up on that though, because you know that is a big talking point, and and it's it's but does sort it of out, true. Does it play out in their elections. Yeah, though, I mean, right? The, right. the problem with that is six to one Democrat to Republican, but there's actually more non-affiliated registered voters than there are Republicans. So it's a little bit. It's, it's indicative of the city, but it's also a little bit tricky and misleading um, because there are millions of voters who are registered but unaffiliated, and those were Bloomberg voters, right? And many of them were Giuliani voters.
3: Well, what was it? Different city now. But was it 800,000 that voted? It was an incredibly mm-hmm. low number. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about a mandate and we talk about a percentage of 800,000 voters and an 8.5 million well, right. people, um, it's. It, I think I think the mayor should is looking for as high numbers he can get if he wants a national profile if he wants to move ahead which is what it, all signs point to him wanting something bigger than this job he needs a mandate so that he can prove to the rest of the country that he is a progressive leader who can make things happen.
2: Right, I think that a lot of people look at like, oh, a Democrat's going to win. I don't have to vote, and I think that's the biggest problem. That's, I mean, even people who love Bill De Blasio didn't necessarily vote for him last time because they're like, he's going to win. I saw it on the news he's up by fifty or whatever, you know. And I think that's that's the struggle, you know, to make sure you know everybody comes out to vote and and gets the same size you know, gets passionate about voting for you as the same people who are passionate about voting against you.
0: The interesting thing there, um, and we'll, we're here in probably our last four or five minutes with our our guests, say, Molly Fullington and Rebecca Katz. Um, You know, the interesting thing there, I I do think that there was absolutely that factor last time in that the first polls that came out post-primary were de Blasio by 50, right? And so I think that suppresses even the Democratic vote a little bit. Um, the question is, again, this has to do with money, is where can Maliyotakis sort of motivate some of those people mm-hmm. to not say, oh, it's a foregone conclusion. And this is where sort of the polls and the media, it all becomes a little bit self-fulfilling, which is problematic. Um, but, you know, that's where the candidate in the campaign and the Republican Party at large has to, has to step in.
1: So let's map out. You know, it, it's was today, July thirty-first. Almost, almost August. Let's. Six uh, weeks. We'll call it August, yes. right? Yes. Uh, to the primary, and then we obviously uh, some time between that and the general. But look ahead to the rest of this campaign, and ask people who've done this strategy in the past: What are kind of the inflection points? Where are the points where it, you know, the race could tighten, could change significantly, or at least the conversation in the city about policy, the kind of mandate that Blasio is going to have if he prevails. What will what will matter? Is it the debates? Is it the New York Times endorsement? What are the things between now and, and November seventh that are going to determine what kind of election we have?
2: Well, I think the subways are still still the main piece because the subways affect everybody, rich, poor. You know, Manhattan, outer borough, wherever you are, pretty much you take the subway, right? And and what's interesting there is like trying to. I, I said this before that. If I were de Blasio, like my campaign ad would be like, I'm running for mayor, and I'm not in control of the subways, or something like Governor Cuomo's, because I think that the more that the subways deteriorate, that if people don't understand that it's Governor Cuomo who is in charge, I think that's hard That's hard for the mayor.
1: But is he, uh, just to, to interrupt for a second, he's in a, in a bit of a spot on that, too, because people have also criticized him for picking fights with the governor is foolish you're going to lose but that's He'll tie all your inside baseball other stuff.
2: that's i mean that's a lot of, that's i mean that's like the way that reporters talk that's that's what you see on twitter but for most people it's about their lives and in every september a new class of pre-k kids starts school a new you know 60,000 new parents are like wow this is great i don't have to pay for kindergarten you know pre-k and that's that's the de Blasio legacy that's what people care about it's not it's not the inside back-and-forth. of what
1: but, but after he's elected, assuming he's re-elected, there mm-hmm. will be that inside because the governor will still be governor. If, if de Blasio runs against Cuomo on the subway's issue, is there a consequence for that when he's re-inaugurated? I Has mean, with, with Governor
2: Cuomo, there always seems to be consequences on everything. You can't, I, I, I'm not going to try and get inside his mind because who knows what's going on in there. <laughs> this is
0: amazing that we're sort of asking these questions uh, about a <laughs> fellow Democrats, but that's well-worn territory. Um, so, I'm oh, sorry, Molly, Molly, what do you yeah, think matters, what really matters
1: between now and,
3: and the end? Well, I think the transit the transit crisis is the campaign. It's what the media's covering, uh, that along with Trump. It's transit and Trump. I mean, these are the issues that you guys are focusing on, and I think it makes it harder for, again, a non-incumbent to get the media she needs, to raise the money she's going to need, to uh, that will help her with the earned media that she puts up. Um, transit is, is a big deal, and if something, we talked about this a little bit beforehand, if something very bad happens, it reflects on everyone. It could be a very bad situation for the mayor. Um, let's hope that they're able to, I think they're putting together an amazing team over there at the MTA. Loda is beyond reproach and the people they're bringing in seem to be smart, they're focused. That's a campaign in and of itself that I think will reflect what's going on in the That's at a good point, that
0: is a campaign. A uh, couple more questions on sort of the calendar and then we'll, we'll let you guys go and we appreciate this. I think before I ask one of those um, you know it's important to note that I think, as Jarrett mentioned, Bo Dietl is in this race, looks like he's going to run as an independent, and in this latest Quinnipiac poll, which again, it's very, it's early still, August to November, is a long, long stretch, as you guys know, in campaigns, you know, Deedle's like right there with Malia Takis. I mean, I've been saying, I think there's a chance he does better than her. I mean, there, there is. He's got a little bit of this celebrity profile, he's a little bit of this Trump character that will speak to the New York voters, at least, that voted for Trump in some ways, Um, you know, she's got some barriers, um, being from Staten Island and being in the assembly, which people don't even know what that is. Um, you know, I I mean, I think, I think there's some, there's some struggles there. Will she probably do better than him? Maybe, but we should note, you know, his candidacy is, is fairly key here at least in maybe splitting that anti-De Blasio vote. And then of course the mayor does have to get through unscathed this democratic primary. Sal Albanese is pulling no punches and, uh, you know, a couple other candidates, in the mix, Bob Ganji attacking the mayor's, you know, criminal justice reform record from the left. Um, so a couple other things to just sort of note there, right? That we don't want to make this too much of a foregone Malia Otakas de Blasio, even though that's what how we're framing a lot of this conversation. Um, just tell us August 1st to November 1st, let's say, are there points at which you want to be hitting the air? Are there, are there mailings to do? De Blasio famously didn't do a direct mailer in 2013. Would that be smart again? Um, just a couple little sort of campaign insider insights.
2: Well, if I remember correctly, four years ago, like it was right in uh, beginning of August, around August eighth, I think that we went up with our first ad, um, the Dante ad, was four years ago. So it was like, so it was really the last like six weeks of the campaign.
0: That was the, for primary. That was the primary, but the primary, yeah. The
2: so that was that was the calendar then, and I think now, you know, you never know what's going to happen in August, but for a lot of people, the campaign doesn't start in earnest until after Labor Day.
3: I think that's true. I mean, the difference is the primary. I, you know, we're if we were still in the race, we would be, um, you know, already at a sprint, and ads would probably be going up now and in a similar way because you need to win on September 12 to get to the next right. round. So it actually
1: begs a different question, which is Sal Albanese that Ben just mentioned. Um, if if he is able to say force a debate or you know make himself relevant, does that help or hurt De Blasio? He's going to land some punches, but he also. There's something to talk about there. There's a thing to do. Good question. I mean do you feel how do you feel that? that I mean it could go either way.
2: I can make the case either way. Like on the one hand it's always good like you can make this case about like you know when you're you know in when you're in the playoffs and you're going to seven games or something like that, right? Like it's always like on the one hand it's kind of good to get back into like campaign gear and get back you know the back and forth. But you know it's always more fun to just cruise. So (laughs) it depends you know like it either way I still think it's gonna be fine for the mayor.
0: And this is, that's sort of the thing we saw with, like, a Barack Obama, right, where he didn't have a primary, and then he gets the general, and the first debate is horrendous. Right, right you're in rusty. Yeah. So that's interesting. I mean, it might benefit the mayor to have a debate with, with Mr. Albanese um, in some ways. Um, <laughs>
3: and I think, <laughs> think it
0: <laughs> Might be difficult for Sal to swallow that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, and, I mean, listen, I think, you know, he wants any chance he can get to throw some haymakers, and... Uh, You know, I think um, he thinks he's, you know, has a message that could could take off with a little more juice. Molly, you were saying. I
3: I think it goes back to the voters deserve it. Voters deserve to hear different points of view. They they deserve to hear the mayor being challenged on his record. This is this is what an election is supposed to be about. And I feel like we get to the end at the beginning so quickly in this media market, and it's just it's the way it is. And we're most of the time very right, um, but it's it's a shame that we can't have these, that we're not cheering on the debate, that both sides are not interested in getting in there. And it's a common thing that, that a primary does typically make a candidate stronger for all these reasons. And it wouldn't be a
0: bad idea. Final thoughts right. from Rebecca I Katz. will
2: say that it's it's a weird position to be ahead. Like I was, you know, with uh, Bill de Blasio back on the public advocate face when, you know, Mark Green would have no problem winning again. And then, you know, we were in fifth place in like July of twenty thirteen. So it's it's a very strange feeling for like de Blasiites, you know, to be like on like, you know, in the position of winning. So um, and the you know, incumbent. So but I, I do feel good about where he is and I'm excited for this candidacy.
0: Well, thank you to Molly Fullington and Rebecca Katz for joining us. Thank Great you insights. Thank you. Um, and we'll probably be talking with you more before Election Day.
2: Can't wait. Thanks for having thank us. Thank
0: you.